Welcome to Fresno's Best Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Maddox. Today we have Eric Washington on the show. Eric is a life coach, a podcast host, an all-around amazing human being with an amazing story. Please enjoy this wonderful conversation. Religion, culture, art, music, show some respect to the best little city left in the U.S. Fresno's best. Fresno's best. All right. So, uh, Eric, where do you like to eat in Fresno? Man, that's that's a great question, Jordan. Some, so you know, I actually have a a couple of places that I enjoy. Um, I actually discover um, the annex. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it correct, but it's it's a pretty kind of LA type of like vibe. It's a really kind of distinct place in Fresno. It's kind of like the hidden secret, at least to me. I enjoy that place. It's pretty good. I like the quality. I like the ambiance of it. It's pretty solid. What, why do you call it an L.A. vibe? You know, when you think about Fresno, right? Fresno, it's, it's, it's fairly a, a big, you know, town and city. But it doesn't have, it's more of a, a slower pace, per se, when we talk about, you know, Fresno. And so when I go into that environment, you know, at the annex, it's, it's pretty, it kind of reminds me of an L.A. type of restaurant and so forth. So I kind of always like to, give that kind of description and when we're talking about you know restaurants and and fresno Mm. where where's a where's a lunch spot you like oh that's a good one a lunch spot you know a lunch spot for me it's i'm into um all time i'm really into um i'm a foodie to be honest with you uh i like good sushi and I haven't really found a good lunch spot in Fresno, but I will say I like this Symmetranian place. I can't recall the name of it, but it's over in, um, what's the location? Uh, I can't recall it right this second. I can Google it, but it's it's pretty solid Mediterranean food. I like that restaurant. It's, you know, it's city, it's called um, Fresno Kebab. That's That's the name of it. Okay. Uh, I like Mediterranean food for lunch too. Cause it's not super heavy. Like I've got some friends at work that like to go get Italian food for lunch. And I'm like, you're insane. Like I'm not going to be able to do anything after I have a big plate of pasta for lunch. And so Mediterranean is always nice for lunch. Cause it can, you know, it's a little meat, little vegetables, little rice, and then it can get you through the afternoon as opposed to sitting in your stomach like a brick. Yeah. I love the Mediterranean salads. Oh man. The salads are pretty solid. I kind of like to eat light for lunch anyhow. So it's, you know, Mediterranean salads are solid for me. I don't care for a lot of meat, you know, especially during the day. Yeah, I definitely agree with you 100%. Well, you're, I think, the first uh, life coach that we've had on the show. And I think a lot of people, therapists, life coaches, people that help other people uh, get through difficult times or make adjustments in their lives uh, for the better, um, have uh, had their own difficulties that they've had to overcome. And, you know, we're entering a world where people have a lot more awareness of ideas like trauma, you know, a lot more awareness of psychological theories of development. Um, and we're, we're becoming, I think, more open to talking about some of these challenges with each other. And 
thinking about different ways of conceptualizing them, our experiences, our negative experiences, as well as our positive. Where you're sitting now in your life, how do you frame or reframe some of the difficulties, challenges, trauma you had as a kid looking back now? How has that, how has your career path caused you to reframe some of those experiences in your mind? Great question. For myself, um, just kind of give you a little backstory real quick. I grew up with neither one of my parents in my life, and I was very fortunate um, to to maneuver through life without my parents. And, and through growing up and, and, and playing sports, it opened up so many other opportunities. It was, you know, sports was, you know, football was a vehicle for me on so many, on so many perspectives. And growing up without either one of my parents and trying to live life and then dealing with the fact that I have no one to talk to, I have no, no, um, I have no community at that time. And so I had to live life and holding everything within myself. And, and so I, in a lot of ways, I, I tell a lot of my clients, I suffered in silence. And so for myself, I had to learn how to express myself, but in a way that can be productive and healthy. And so what we're dealing with right now in our society, a lot of people don't have a lot of the fundamental tools. And so how did I discover the tools? It had to do a lot of self-discovery, self-reflection, self-accountability. I had to really look myself into the mirror and say, you know what, Eric, even though you didn't have neither one of your parents, there's still no excuses. And, and leaving home at, you know, 17 and a half, turning 18, I had to go out into a real world and with no guidance, no resources. And, you know, thank God, you know, I was a good athlete to get a scholarship to play football. But through the, the transition before I ever became a football player, I was still a young man who had no guidance. And I was so thirsty to want a father figure, to want a mother, motherly, you know, love. And I never got those until later in life. Um, first, I had to learn how to love myself. But it was very challenging. And a lot of times I'm seeing, you know, with our society and the trend that has taken place, I'm seeing people doing things out of they don't know how to handle the pressure. They don't have any tools. They don't they haven't discovered themselves. They don't even have an identity of who they really are. And so it's pretty common in our society because we have social media in one degree that is raising, you know, a society, raising a community, raising a nation, raising, a, you know, a world. And so I had to learn how to have a foundation. I hope that answered your question. I think it Love does. It. I mean, I think, you know, when we're kids and we're going through difficulties, it's easy to feel like it's our fault. It's easy to take blame for something that maybe is beyond outside of our circumstances even myself, when I think about my childhood, some of the difficulties that I had, I had a lot of guilt, a lot of negative self-image uh, that came from those experiences. And I think the turning point for me was having compassion for the child inside, if you will, to kind of use some, some terms that I've acquired through therapy. I think a lot of us still, though, 
are stuck in that. We don't yet have that compassion for that kid in all of us that went through those things and was not completely innocent, but was, you know, some, the world was happening to me. And you're right. I think at some, a certain point we have to have some tools, but I think that compassion comes first. Do you agree? Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you, but there's, there's, there's two sides to that, you know, Jordan, when we're talking about compassion, you know, it has to be something that you learn and something you develop, right? A lot of times people like myself who comes from a community to where in our community, you don't cry, um, you don't have any sympathy. It's either you be prideful or nothing at all, right? So a lot of times what I've learned over the years of just discovering and, and really truly falling in love with myself is you have to get help, right? You have to really, really seek out a a people that can help develop you. And in my community, that's not taught, right? And so for myself being a, a drug baby, you know, right side of my brain, not able to function until later in life, um, it was real challenging for me because people misunderstood me because they thought I was just, you know, a, a young, you know, kid that wasn't willing to to learn. But in reality, I had no tools. I had no nothing. And so um, I look at it kind of different. So, uh, but well, I agree and I, I think those are just, the, those are just ways to survive, right? Like, you know, and there's, I think we can judge different pathways to survive, but all the, all those, all those different ways of just dealing with reality are just the ways that make sense in your particular context. Right. So I don't, I don't, you know, I hope I didn't come across as having any judgment one way or another, but more just describing but no. for me, what for me made sense eventually, but in the moment when you're just trying to navigate some of these challenges, you just got to use the tools you have, right? And the tool you have might be silence, like you said. Um, that's maybe the survival mechanism that worked in that moment. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. No, I didn't never once think he was judging. I think he was giving me a very different perspective, and I appreciate that. Yes, can we, because we can all... We, yeah. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I'm sorry. I, I I I was just curious about uh, why why sports were so instrumental for you. Man, you know I come from a, a small town. This you, I'm going to say a name, and I'm quite sure you know who this individual is as well. I come from a town um, called Arbondale, Florida. I'm quite mm-hmm. sure everyone knows Tracy McGrady, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. So me and Tracy McGrady, he lived on the same street as myself growing up as a kid. And so it's Arbondale, you know, for us, you know, sports was all we really had. You either become a drug dealer, you become an alcoholic, you become a a man that that, that really becomes something of the environment of his product. I mean, the, the, he in the environment of his product. I mean, not product, he's environment of his environment. And, and so for me, sports was like a way out. It was a vehicle that allowed me to see life. It gave me hope. It inspired me. I seen Tracy McGrady growing up as a kid. You know, I was not no six nine, but seeing him, you know, leave straight out of high school to go to Mountain Zion Academy to go to the NBA, um, that inspired me. You know, because he was the only thing. I mean, he was the only person, excuse me, that was who made it out of the streets. 
And so he was a, he was inspirational because, you know, when Trace McGrady first came to the NBA, I mean, went to the NBA, I was him, him and his brother, um, Chance McGrady, uh, we all went to the same middle school. So it was a big deal for us. He was the first one, you know, to my understanding, to make it out of the hood. <laughs> and so I was really inspired. And then I admired, you know, Warren Sapp. Um, I seen everything. I, I, I kind of modeled myself after Warren Sapp. Um, he was a Hall of Famer. And I said, I want to be like that guy because, you know, I was like his size. And I was, you know, that's what people try to compare me to. And I was honored, you know, as a, you know, as a young man. And I just seen a different light. I'd never been that type of guy that wanted to be like everyone else. I always wanted to be different. You know, I always wanted to have my own um, personality, perspectives, and, and sports was just another vehicle for me to operate under to get to where I needed to go. So it had to do with a lot of growing up, my mom and dad, neither one of them, they was both alcoholics, drug addicts, and they was in prison the majority of my life. So I never wanted to be those people. I never wanted to sell drugs. I never wanted to be a fraud to a degree. And so um, I was really motivated to get out of the small town that I was staying in. You know, our town is about 20,000 people and everyone, everyone knows each other. And so a lot of blue collar type of families are here. And so I was like, I want more than just this, you know. And so the motivation was seeing what I was around. And I was like, I don't want to be none of that. No disrespect to anyone. But I knew that I wanted to do more and I wanted to see the world for what it was. Yeah, so it sounds like, and I'm just kind of hearing what you're saying and kind of putting it in my own way of seeing the world is, you know, a lot of young people, and I, you know, I work in K-12 education, you know, there's, there's not really a sense of like, here's a clear path, everything feels muddy and unclear, and, and sports have this kind of stark clarity of like, you work towards certain goals, there's clear outcomes, there's a pathway towards higher and higher levels, and it makes sense to people. And so if you're kind of in a world where there's a lot of unexpected challenges, a lot of obstacles that don't have clear answers, it seems like sports is is helpful in that respect. But also the larger point of sports can take me out of something. It seems like, is that what, is that kind of what you're describing when you say that's an accurate representation? Yeah. I mean, that's a good way to put it. You know, I, I look at it from this perspective. I think sports is a, you know, I, I call it a vehicle or another tool that you can use. But for me, um, when I got into college and I was playing at the next level, um, one of the things that I, I found out about myself was sports was a place for my next, my next destiny in life. And what does that mean? Um, for me, um, I wanted to be a professional athlete. That was the goal. I was I was good enough. I just wasn't healthy enough. And for myself, I knew that um, sports had a time. It was, it was very timely. It was very, you, you have a short period of time to play sports. So I was like, I don't know if I want to play sports, you know, bang my body up in the end. You know, what if I get brain damage or something of that nature, right? That was just all the little thoughts in the back of my mind. Then I realized, like, no, I wasn't created to just be a athlete. I was created to have a voice that can transcend the next generation. And I discovered that at, like, 18 years old, leaving home. And so that's when I actually started 
becoming a motivation of being a speaker way back, you know, when I was 18 years old. So sports was a avenue for me, but the really the the real self discovery came when I turned eighteen. I got in college, and then I got by myself, and then this whole develop of becoming start developing, if that makes sense. And it so does. I think, yeah. And so for me, sports in a lot of ways, I tell kids this: you know, it's very slim to none that it's very rare that you that you can make it to the NFL. Let's just be honest; it's a cream of the crop, right? And you have to like have somewhat of a perfect, you know, career throughout, you know, from K to to college to actually make it. What's the chances of that? Right. And so I have professional friends who are professional athletes and I see the grind on a daily basis when I'm having these conversations with these athletes. And it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of dedication, but it's a different mindset they have versus, you know, the average, you know, nine to five individual. Yeah. So there's a really a different mindset. I'm going to just be honest with you. I'm talking not just from experience. I'm talking about guys who are actually playing at the next level as well. Yeah. And I wish that, and I know there are lots of good coaches that teach this lesson, but I wish it was more prominent, at least in the media and way things are portrayed is um, sports are often more important for the discipline lessons that they teach you and less for the outward signs of success you get drafted your part your professional athlete you know what what teams teach people is how to work together towards a common goal how to have self-discipline and those things in my mind are more important than you know some payday or some career outcome they're they're what teaches you how to be a human being in a complicated world and have some self-discipline and i i, I personally wish that that was you know the thing that our media teaches kids about sports less about winning less about did, are you going to go pro and more about what what is the purpose of the sport what is it teaching us and i wish that yeah. i mean i i know it's the case in a lot of places but it feels less yeah. prominent when once, once we turn on the tv and we're watching monday night football and they're talking about these athletes yeah 100% you know, I, I, when I look, you know, one of the things that I teach, you know, my son, I have a nine-year-old son, and my son is, is all, you know, he's a straight-A student, and um, I, re, I, I'm really big on education. Um, I think education is a tool as well, but I think what's most importantly is the identity of the education, right? What does that look like? And the way you can find out a identity of education is that you always involving in learning. Right. That's a self-identity within itself. And so I, I teach my son how as as a young man, how to become the man that you need to be and how can you use the education to where it can work for you. Right. And, and so that's the biggest you know, discovery that um, young men go through is that discovery. But when they're watching, you know, ESPN, they're seeing the highlights but they don't see the in-between, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, it's that in-between that allows greatness to present itself. And so, you know, I, I teach my son, you know, my son, he, he's a tall and very, he's very like, he's very lean. And I teach him a lot of people when they see him like, Oh, wow. He plays sports. That's the first thing that comes to, you know, their mind is because he looks like an athlete and his dad was an athlete. 
And so I don't try to force my son to do what dad has done, that dad has done. And, you know, it's, it's a challenge sometimes because the little, the, the little part of me inside is like, you want him to be the athlete and be the, the 5.0 version in reality. No, this kid has his own identity and he's going to be who he's going to be. He doesn't, he doesn't need me as far as to try to lead him into sports. If that's something he wants to do, Okay, we can have that conversation. But in reality, let's get this education. Let's learn how to allow this education to work for you to where you can impact your generation and you can be a voice and a leader that can change and transcend. That's Mm. the mindset that I'm teaching my son at this particular moment at nine years old. Yeah, well, that leads perfectly into our next topic, which is kind of uh, your journey into becoming a life coach. Um, can you talk about how you see your role as a life coach and maybe differentiate between what someone does in therapy with what you do? Yeah, great, great question, Jordan. Um, for myself, um, you know, a lot of my therapist friends, we have these conversations and our discovery conversations. They're looking at, you know, therapy from a clinical. I'm looking at it from a practical and you can intertwine the two. And so me as a life coach, I want to give you some tools, just like a therapist, but I'm not a therapist. I want to give you some everyday tools that I can coach you to allow you to walk in your true purpose. I want to be as your life coach. I want to be a unnecessary. What does that mean? Unnecessary. I want to give you some tools to where I'm unnecessary to you, to where these tools that I've given you, have taught you, have coached you on. You now can take those tools and you can apply it to the universe. You can apply it to yourself. You can apply it to the next generation that you will impact. So for me, I look at it from a broad perspective. A lot of times when people look at life coaching, they look at it from a luxury perspective. No, it's a central service that we need on a daily basis. And so I try to separate myself when it comes to life coaching on when I deal with my clients, I try to teach my clients, hey, the importance of developing and identifying self within who you are, not from a clinical, but from a practical day to day opportunity that life presents itself. So, you know, when, when I talk to my 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 um, my therapist, you know, my they're from my friends, they say, you know, a lot of therapists are moving in the mindset of they are actually life coaches as well to a degree, right? And so for me, they're like, well, what is the difference between the two? You know, I always say in one degree, the therapist itself is going to give you some clinical, going to give you some stuff that kind of deal with the root of what's going on. I'm going to be able to, they ain't going to be able to identify me as a, as a coach. I'm going to be able to prepare you and prep you from all the work that the therapists have given you. Because I think everyone, I think therapy is very essential and necessary. But for a lot of times, some people really just need a coach to kind of coach them through the process. And so it depends on what the individual is looking for and what their expectations are. And so I think there's 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 a distinct difference, and it really is. But I, for myself, I always talk about becoming unnecessary to my clients. I don't need you to be my client for a year. I feel like we have enough tools in place, enough systems in place to where we can get you on the right track to where you can now take off and be who you need to be. 
And so I, I really push that because it's, it's a necessary to the mind, soul, and spirit. Mm. Well, and I, I think too, coach can come across as a little bit more accessible and maybe less taboo for some people. Cause there is, I mean, we can talk a little bit about the distrust of therapy among certain communities and a coach can be someone that can kind of be uh, a foot in two worlds a little bit for some people and feel a little bit more accessible. Do you know what I'm describing? Yeah. And, and especially let's just kind of talk about it while we're here uh, in the black community, you know, let's just be honest, a lot of, especially in my community that I come from, they don't believe in a therapist. They believe they'll figure it out. And why? Because the, 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 what's the world? I want to use the right word. Um, there's a lot of pressure that comes with that because remember the way they have been taught is you don't trust nobody or you can't be vulnerable or you can't be sensitive to reality of you actually telling your personal feelings and emotion to someone. And so that's how it has been in my community, but it's shifting to where now it's becoming a necessary and it's becoming more relevant to a degree, you know? So it's really all about the environment that you have been in and what you've been told and what you've been taught and what you've seen. So that all plays a part into how we how we look at life and how we shape our mindset to be, if that make any sense. Yeah. And so and so you see that as as changing and evolving. Is that a generational thing? Yeah, it is a generational thing because growing up, I'm 36 years old. Growing up, you know, myself, I can afford a therapist. A therapist wasn't even talked about. You know, we know therapists been around for a while. You know, they've been around for a while. You know, therapy has been around for a while. But for my generation, especially at my age, that was not even a conversation. And, you know, I left home at, you know, 18 years old. I mean, 17 and a half, going on 18 years old. And that has been not the case until about the last 12 years, the last 10 to 12 years, it has kind of shifted somewhat. And so um, I really think people are involving and becoming more um, open-minded towards this new way of looking at life. Because let's just be honest, we all need help. Do we suffer in silence? And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm doing a series real quick on um, um, trauma doesn't age. Trauma is a eternal thing that's in a finite society. And so um, one of the things I, I'm talking about it's dealing with trauma that has to be addressed. If you don't address it, it stays and it becomes, you become that trauma. And so uh, I don't want to get off subject, but that's something that I, I'm dealing with. And I'm able to correlate that with how I was raised. You know, you know, I thought when I turned 30 and I thought maybe that would, you know, end. But what I, I, I discovered and what I have found out very quickly is that trauma stays right where you live until you're able to address it, identify with it, and then you're able to um, do something about it. You have to have those systems in place to be able to address it. If not, the trauma is, you become the trauma, literally. And I'm a witness of that myself. Mm. Can um, Let's take a little bit of a bigger perspective, not a bigger, that, that was the wrong word, redo. Let's take a uh, kind of a, a citywide perspective and think about 
what you're seeing patterns or man, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling. I'm going to redo this whole thing. Okay. <laughs> Eric, let's, let's talk about what your practice has informed your understanding of the city of, of Fresno. Um, you're working with people in this community. Uh, you're seeing some common things. What have you learned about the city through the work you do? Well, that's a great question, Jordan. You, you know, to be honest with you, uh, it's, you know, I've learned within this process of being a life coach for the last, you know, seven years, what's going on seven years, um, how to be culturally relevant. What does that mean? Being culturally relevant on a local level, a national level, and now an international level. And I want to break the three down real quick. What I found out about Fresno is the mentality that I have discovered with the individuals from, you know, young professionals, right? I work with a lot of young professionals. And I have found that a lot of young professionals are very content with where they are in their lives. And in one degree, there's nothing wrong with that. But for myself, I always like to push when it comes to fullness of self-discovery, right? So I find that very interesting from a local level, that people are a little more content than normal. Then when it goes from a national perspective, because I have, co- I, have, I, I have clients all over the world. When I go from a national perspective, it depends on the city. Let's do L.A. per se, right? Let's do our backyard, L.A. L.A., I find it that the young professionals are innovators. You say, what does that mean? Innovators, when it comes to career, and they lock in on the career, but they never lock in on the person. So how do we involve the career with the whole person? And so I have to, as a coach, I have to let them see not just the career. I have to let them see, hey, 20 years from now, you're going to be a different person. You're going to have a different perspective. We can't focus on a career and not focus on a self. So it's my job as a coach to coach them up to see the whole person. And then I'm going to step to the international perspective. When you're dealing with a, a, a society or a culture or a generation and from an international perspective, you're seeing that the internationals, let's say England, the people from England are, let's say, people from you know Australia. I got some Australia um, clients. They are so interested in America, right? And they are following the American dream from an international perspective. Am I making sense? And yeah. so... And so what I'm seeing is the influence from the young professionals who are driven, right? They're driven for career. They're driven to make a mark, which is nothing wrong with making a mark. But they're losing themselves in the process of becoming who they are as individuals. So they're they're becoming the career, the finances, the resources, and they're making a name, but they're losing self. And I find the international audience intrigued, obsessed, and they yet don't know themselves. That's what I found. Uh, that's what I discovered, excuse me, in this last, uh, I want to say, since the pandemic, I've been more busy than ever because people are running across issues. Mind you, if they don't have a whole self and whole discovery or identity, 
guess what? You're going to lead to your own understanding. So I'm finding it interesting that people are so focused about career driven, but yet haven't worked on whole self. And it's my job to introduce a, a, a skill set that can allow them to discover and to realize and to recognize and put a plan into action. That is my job. Well, let's two last topics before we close up. Let's let's say uh, you're sitting down with someone and they just feel lost. Um, a yeah. lot of us felt lost during COVID, not really a sense of purpose. Maybe they just work eight to five, just come home and just feel like they just can't find their meaning in all of this. Where where would you start with someone like that? Great question. Um, for me, right, that's, that's a pretty normal question for me. That's pretty how it usually start out when I um, have a potential client. I always go back to the foundation because the foundation is, is what, what tells me about who they are. So if they're going through, let's say, a depression or let's say they're going through anxiety, um, a lot of times why those things occur, I'm not no therapist, let's make that clear, but a lot of times when they're discovering these these traits about themselves is because they know within who they are, they're not doing what they need to do. And you say, what do you, why do you sound so harsh about that, Eric? No, it's the reality of the identity doesn't have any confidence because they truly haven't developed that side of who they are. So it's my job to recognize putting some healthy boundaries in place, putting a system in place. And so I find that I find that pretty normal to where when people are going through a depression myself, I was an individual that was depressed and I was staying in my bed for five or six days at a time. I gained a lot of weight and I had a drinking issue. Right. And I find it to where when people are not moving, I, they seem to allow the self-conscious and the conscious mind to not really function at a high level. I'm speaking from experience. I'm not speaking from what I've been told. And so depression and anxiety, it has a uniqueness about itself. And so when a client comes to me, I'm really trying to get them to move, have a movement that starts with putting a schedule in place, putting an accountability, accountability system in place, putting a structure in place, and putting a healthy boundaries in place. So if we get the foundation down now we can move forward with how to live on a daily basis when it comes to interaction, when it comes to activity, when it comes to a mental clarity. So there's so many different ways we could go about it, but most important, setting the foundation to where it could build upon that. Hmm. Let's close with books. Uh, it's one of my favorite sections of these podcasts, talking about books. What are two or three books you'd recommend to listeners? <laughs> That's a good one. Um, when we're talking about just discovery, you know, uh, I, I love, I got a couple different ones, but I'm going to give you a couple ones real quick. Um, Melissa Pryor, um, Marissa Pierce, excuse me, it's called I Am Enough. Uh, Marissa is M A R I S A. Last name is Pierre, P E E R. And the title of the book is I Am Enough. That book changed my life. And that book literally changed my life. And, and how it actually changed my life. It changed my life when it came, when it when it comes, excuse me, when it comes to the daily activity within who I am, the practical living of 
discovering the things about myself every single day. And that's what that book taught me, how to discover who Eric Washington is on a daily basis. And so that changed my life. Um, another book um, I enjoy, and I've, I've been on this book for now for about a month, it's called The Myth of Mental Illness, The Foundation and Theories. Um, that's a solid book. Thomas Seagrass is the author of that book. And the last one, um, this is a pretty known one, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I'm all about having the whole man to where I want to be financial free and I want to have financial freedom. And so I can't just be an incredible human, but I have to have the resources to help contribute to my, my, um, my contribution to a world. And so I think it's about mind, body, and spirit. I think it's about being financial free. I think it's about being mental clarity. I think it's about having a mindset to where I can live on a daily basis and know who I am. So all of those plays a part of who we are, who we're becoming. You know, this life in our society, um, society will tell you how to live. But I don't think it's society's fault to, to, to see um and to tell you who you are. I think it's your responsibility as a human to discover who you are. I think it takes work and I think it takes dedication. I think it takes a community. How can people find more about, find out more about your work and uh, if they need help, how can they get help? Yeah, you can reach me at Spoken by Eric uh, Instagram, or you can reach me on my link tree that's, uh, tag, that's on my link on my Instagram platform, my social media platforms. And um, yeah, book appointment or just, you know, book appointment to have a discovery meeting. And if, if I can help in any way, I definitely will help, you know, but I want to make this clear as well. You know, Jordan, when people reach out to me, um, I can't fix them. I want to make that clear. Um, what I can do is I can present the resources and I think it's important that when, I, when we say resources, is they can, they can, I can present a resource, the resources that will connect them to a life-changing experience that will revolutionize their lives. That's what I can do. It's all about the willingness of the individual. So I'm no fixer and I'm no therapist, but I'm a great coach and I love people. Yeah. Well, thank you for talking with me, Eric. This has been a really great conversation. Well, I appreciate you as well. Thank you so much, Jordan, for the opportunity. Fresno's best. Thanks for listening, folks. As always, you can support this podcast by leaving us a rating and review or by making a financial contribution at our Patreon page, which is www.patreon.com slash Fresno's best. We'll see you next time.